Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study where we go through the scriptures line upon line. Today, we're up to Isaiah chapter 22, and uh, God willing, we'll get through Isaiah chapter 22 in about, say, half an hour. It's not a long chapter, maybe 40 minutes at the most. And uh, if there are questions afterwards, usually at the end of the month, we like to just uh, do a pause and reflect on uh, what we've covered so far. So if you do have any questions, go ahead and uh, type those in the chat, and uh, we'll do our best, or I'll do my best to address your questions uh, at the end of the study. If not, we'll have a shorter study tonight, and God willing, we'll resume our study uh, through marching through this uh, wonderful book of Isaiah, uh, beginning in chapter 23, God willing, next week. We'll open uh, with a word of prayer and then get into chapter 22 this evening. Loving Father, Almighty, uh, we come before you, great God, uh, ever so grateful, especially as we see this world globally, all around the world, unraveling, uh, falling into tyranny, falling into confusion and great evil. Uh, we thank you, Father, through the power of your scripture, the revelation that comes through these ancient words that we're able to see uh, the evil in this world and avoid it. What a blessing. We thank you, God, for every blessing that comes from you. We are deeply uh, fulfilled and encouraged by the opportunity to study your word and to fellowship with one another and to know that there are many of like mind. We're also uh, somewhat grieved, Father, with the many health trials, and in particular with just a very intense trial that we're going through with our brother Murray and his wife Lisa. We do thank you, God, for the encouraging signs and improvement. Even though they're small, it's still improvement. It's still encouraging. We thank you for this, Lord God Almighty. We thank you for their faith. It's a very intense trial. Just know, God, that they believe in your word. We thank you for that. Pray, God, that you will bless them, that you'll look down from heaven. We know that you are a God of great majesty, but you're also a very personal God and a God who answers prayers. And we look to you, Father, for this mercy. We pray you'll bless, bless them, Father, and, and help them through this. And may their marriage and family be stronger as a result of coming through this trial. Bless you, Lord. We thank you. We ask this blessing in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, brethren, we are up to Isaiah chapter 22. What we've covered so far, beginning with chapter 1, where we got the theme of the book, now, this is a vision that Isaiah received concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So that's the subject matter. And uh, through that, we see that all of Israel, and especially Jerusalem, are utterly corrupt, utterly evil. And that God is going to punish them for this evil. But we also see that he's in covenant with them, with Judah and Jerusalem. And because of that covenant, he's not going to make a complete end. Uh, because Israel is going to be grafted back into this covenant, he's not going to make a complete end. And so what we've been seeing, uh, you know, so the introduction really goes from chapter 1 to chapter 6, where we see the, 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 the issue and the, plan, the, the problem. Uh, but also the plan, right? Right in chapter two, we see that of course he's not going to make a complete end. He, he's in he's in this covenant eternal agreement with them, and they will be the the model nation that the whole world will come to to understand the law of God. 
then beginning in chapter 7 uh, and through now to uh, here we are in chapter 22, we begin to see the problem with the, the nations. We see Judah uh, depending on these uh, secular, ungodly nations instead of depending on their God, and God calling them out on that, but at the same time promising to send a Messiah to save them. And now, I believe, beginning in chapter 13, we see these judgments, these oracles against these Gentile nations, but not only the Gentile nations that are surrounding, geographically surrounding Jerusalem, but also Jerusalem herself. And that's what we're going to see now in chapter 22. We're going to actually see this uh, judgment against Jerusalem. So let me just uh, share my screen here, and we will uh, go into chapter 22. So here we see this judgment against Jerusalem, where God says the burden of the Valley of Vision. So this, this is a sort of a clear reference to Jerusalem, that all of the vision, all of the revelation comes to the prophets of God. And that is this Valley of Vision, which unfortunately is no longer a Valley of Vision. This could almost be said sarcastically, it's supposed to be the Valley of Vision, um, or really, really, we should focus on the mountain, Mount Zion of vision. But here we are in this valley of confusion rather than vision. And then God asks, what ails you now that you are wholly gone up to the housetops? Like, what's the problem here? Uh, and, and the implication here, going up on the housetops, is a sort of a social thing to do uh, in Jerusalem. It's a, it's a partying thing to do. It's let's, let's go up and, and have a great time. And God is saying, like, this is a problem. Why are you doing this? So let's continue. You are full of stirs or, or activity, a tumultuous city, a joyous city. Well, what's going on here? Well, why, Jerusalem, are you so joyous and happy? The reality is you're in calamity. Your slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. So, so what's happened here? There's something that's happened where you are losing your, your men. They're being slaughtered, but not by sword, and, and, and they're not dead in battle. So something else has happened here. And, and again, if we sort of relate it to our day, that this pandemic, uh, if it was as deadly as they told us it would be 18 months ago, uh, you know, people would just be dying in the streets, and not through battle, and it's not that an enemy has come in by sword, but we're just losing our men. So something is happening here where uh, perhaps it's a, a famine, and, and the people are just starving to death. Uh, so, so something, and, and this is, should be cause for them to turn to God, pleading His mercy. Instead, they're just partying and just enjoying themselves. All your rulers have fled together. They are bound by the archers, all that are found in you are bound together, which have fled from far. So this is treacherous. So the rulers, instead of staying and looking after the people, they're so focused on themselves. And at the first sign of trouble, they're out of there. I think it's uh, something that we could relate to today in terms of uh, our rulers. They don't care about us. As long as they're fine, as long as they're eating well, as long as they're looked after, they couldn't care less what happens to us. So the economy is crushing us. Uh, so many small businesses are going out of business. People are declaring bankruptcy. 
Uh, people are, are having to depend on the government for this little pittance of an income. Uh, and the, the rulers don't care. You know, you see them eating together, sitting together. They're not wearing masks. They're enjoying themselves. It's supposed to be a terrible pandemic, but they're not social distancing. So it's very, very questionable whether or not they're taking all of these measures because they really care about us. Well, clearly here, the rulers of Jerusalem did not care about the people. Something has happened. The, the city is in great distress. The rulers are just fleeing. But as they flee, they're being caught by archers, and they're being bound together. So it didn't quite work out for them. And, and this now should bear, cause us to remember uh, chapter 3, where God says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, does take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. So this is, the, this is the famine. The mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, the prudent and the Asian, so that the leaders are being taken away. Uh, they're fleeing, or in some cases, people are just dying. Uh, God is the one who's behind this. The captain of 50 and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. Instead, I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. So now they have leaders that don't know what they're doing that are very immature, and that are very selfish, and don't care about the people. So that, that's what God told them would happen. Back to chapter 22. Therefore said I, look away from me. So now this is the prophet speaking. And because of this situation, where Judah, uh, Jerusalem is obviously cursed, and instead of acknowledging the problem and turning to their God, Jerusalem is ever turning away from their God beginning with the Assyrians, where they were, they were concerned with the, the um, Ephraim and uh, Syria uniting as a force against them. And instead of turning to God, they turned to the Assyrians. They turned to the Babylonians. They turned to everybody and every, anybody except God. And here they're in trouble. And instead of turning to God, they're just deciding to party. You know, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. He says... Uh, therefore, said I, look away from me. Don't, don't look at me. I will weep bitterly. Labor not to comfort me because of the spoiling of the daughter of my people. So think about this. Isaiah's people were having a great time. They were partying. Isaiah was not participating in that partying. In, instead, he was mourning. So sometimes we're not going to be on the same page with everybody because of what we see. So the Isaiah, the prophet, was looking ahead, and he was seeing what was going to come upon. That this, this is just the beginning. He could see very clearly what was going to come upon his people. And instead of joining with the merriment, he's withdrawing. And he doesn't want to be comforted. Because of the spoiling... Of the daughter of my people, for it is a day of trouble, and of treading down, and of perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls, and of crying to the mountains. So this is a day of great calamity, and this isn't a fulfilled day, this is historical, so this happened in the past. At the same time, it gives us clues as to the future. This is really, Matthew 24 is all about the destruction of Jerusalem. 
Matthew 23 is where he places the curse on Jerusalem. And in Matthew 24, he's sharing with his disciples how this is going to be fulfilled. And at the same time, he begins that whole uh, proclamation of prophecy by saying to the disciples, do not be deceived. So Jerusalem is going to appear God-forsaken. She's not God-forsaken. She's being disciplined to drive her to repentance. But God has chosen Jerusalem. He's chosen Judah. He's chosen Jacob. And so we have to keep the narrative firmly in mind, despite the destruction and the calamity that we will witness. So it's a day of trouble and of treading down and of perplexity by the Lord God of hosts. He's the one that's driving this in the Valley of Vision, breaking down the walls and of crying to the mountains. So this is the whole defense system of uh, Jerusalem is being destroyed and people are just running to the mountains and trying to escape. And again, has echoes, or Matthew 24 has echoes here of Isaiah 22. And then he says, as there's people are trying to escape, and Elam bare the quiver with chariots of men and horsemen, and Kerr uncovered the shield. So these are other powers, Elam being what we call today Persia. But these are other powers that are somehow confederate and joining in the destruction of Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass that your choicest valleys shall be full of chariots. So there's going to be an invasion here. And the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate. So you just have no way of escaping this. This is a judgment that's pronounced upon Jerusalem. And he discovered the covering of Judah. And you did look in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. So Judah is being discovered, being uh, exposed. And while this is happening, she's looking for ways of defending herself. And so there's some house of the forest. Uh, they may believe that this has to do with uh, Solomon and, and what he set up with the trees of Lebanon and set up a sort of a fortification. And so in any case, they're, they're looking for ways to defend themselves, not turning to God. So you did look in that day. So on this day of trouble, you looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. And even today, you see Jerusalem is beginning to be under siege. Uh, this new U.S. administration is cursed. They're turning their back on uh, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah, uh, rhetoric notwithstanding. They're, they're, they're financing uh, the, the Hamas and, and Iran and, and Judah's enemies and, and giving sort of the wink and the nod that this is okay. And anybody who curses the descendants of Abraham is cursed. These people are cursed. I mean, even if they didn't do this, if you look at the sheer evil that they are involved in, I couldn't care less about politics. Don't accuse me of being political. I couldn't care less. But there is a difference between good and evil. And this administration is evil. It's evil. As, as we speak, and as you listen to me right now, women and children are being raped consistently, over and over, continually. Human beings are being trafficked. They've given the wink and the nod to, to traffickers, bringing in drugs, bringing in women, bringing in children, trafficking humans, enslaving humans. All of this under this administration proactively destroying America, signaling to the world, America is open for the taking. Helping the world to become hostile to, to Christ. 
and, and, and fully supporting and embracing every perversity. This administration is cursed. And with it, the whole globalist movement. And by now, by now, by now, I'm hoping we all see this very clearly. You know, months ago, oh, Adrian's political. He, he likes Trump. He's a, he's a, I'm, I'm a Republican. How can I, I'm not even American. I'm British Canadian. How can I be a Republican? Couldn't care less about politics and political parties. But I do care about prophecy. And I do care about God's people. And this current administration is doing everything to set up for calamity upon God's people. The destruction of, of the families and God's people being affected by all. I, I hope we see this by now. I, I hope so. So Israel is turning to every possible defense. And here Judah, I should say, the nation we call Israel. Every defense except God. And so you see now with this wink and nod from the current administration in America to Israel's enemies, go ahead, open season. But they have these, uh, you know, Star Wars or have the, the, the iron, the, the shield, the dome. That's phenomenal. And they still have funding from America. They do have their very advanced uh, espionage and, and uh, um, intelligence systems. Very, very advanced. But they're not looking to God. So as it was anciently, so it is today. He says, you have seen also the breaches of the city of David, that they are many. So this is the, they're being broken down now. And you gather together the waters of the lower pool. So again, this is a defensive strategy. They're trying to reroute the waters so that they can have water in the city and maybe drain it away from the enemies, the supply chain of the enemies. Again, taking all these steps, which are you know, military steps, they're necessary steps, but what they're not doing is turning to God. And you have numbered the houses of Jerusalem, and the houses have you broken down to fortify the wall. So maybe some sort of census here, but then redirecting resources for defense and taking what normally would be just sort of civilian resources, rerouting them, redeploying them for defense, but not turning to God. You made also a ditch between the two walls for the water of the old pool. So this God is just calling them out. These are the things that you've done. But you have not looked unto the maker thereof, neither had respect unto him that fashioned it long ago. So this is the foolishness of Judah. You're doing all these things, and, and you're in covenant with the creator of the universe. But as you're doing all these things, what you're not doing is turning to the creator of the universe who loves you, who is in covenant with you, who will defend you. Even going all the way back to King Ahaz, that Isaiah went to him and said, ask for a sign. Oh, no, I don't think I'll have a sign. Thanks very much. Thanks for the offer, but I'm good. I'm good. I think I'll just go over to Assyria and see if I can get their help. And, and so it just, it just doesn't change. And in that day, did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness? and to girding with sackcloth. So God is saying, you should mourn. This calamity, this evil is coming upon you. You should mourn. Instead, I find you on the rooftops partying. <laughs> so he says, so this is what I called you to. But behold, joy and gladness. Are you crazy? 
Do you think that I speak in, in jest, that when I talk, I don't mean it? So I'm calling for mourning, but instead there's joy and gladness, as if you have no clue what's about to come upon you. Behold, joy and gladness, slaying of oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. It's like, let's have a feast. People are dying from famine, but we have food. We, you know, we, we manage, we're, we're good. Let's just have a party. These are the children and women and children that are ruling over them, that have no sense of discipline or, or foresight, or they're not, they don't have any ability to, to think long-term. So they're just, let's, let's have a feast. So instead of mourning, instead of baldness and, and, and sackcloth, joy and gladness, slaying of oxen. Let, let's just gorge ourselves with meat and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat, drink, eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. So this is, a, verse 13 is quite amazing. There is this sense. So verse 12, God is saying, get down on your knees and repent. Acknowledge the calamity that's coming upon you. Verse 13 is saying, we acknowledge the calamity, but the last thing we will do we have no intention of turning to our God. So tomorrow, it's over. We've done everything we can. Nothing has, has, has stood, stood up. The defense is all collapsed around us. The enemy is coming in. Oh, well, I guess tomorrow we die. So let's just make the best of today. Everybody, let's have a feast. It's all over. Instead of, okay, we didn't turn to him at the beginning. But now that we've tried everything ourselves, and we realize that nothing is left, let's now turn to our God. Not even that. God is the furthest thing from their mind. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. And in fact, this, is, this sort of attitude we can expect here and now. As, as, as people, right now people are in this sort of, um, what shall I say, denial. They're in a state of denial. Let's just watch more TV. Let's just watch more, more movies. Let's just have more music. Let's just smoke marijuana. Let's just drink alcohol. Uh, let's just numb ourselves to what we know in the back of our minds is really happening. But, but rather than face it and turn to God, hey, you know what? I know, I know the world is not heading in a good place. And I'm speaking secularly, people in the world. Know the world is not heading in a good place. I'm denying it by just you know, numbing my mind and just trying to enjoy myself. Let me get a bigger TV. Let me uh, get better wine. Let me just enjoy myself because I just don't know where this, where this is heading. Rather than, okay, there's got to be a meaning to all of this. There must be a creator. Why don't I get down on my knees and pray? Well, hopefully if we are doing our job in preaching and making the gospel clear, hopefully we can turn people to God. Maybe there are some people out there that are open to trying to understand what is going on here. What on earth, literally, what on earth is going on? And they will never understand unless they understand the central role of Jerusalem. That, that if, if, our, if our narrative, of our, if our explanation of what's going on in the world does not involve Jerusalem at the center of that explanation, then we're just as confused as everybody else. Nothing makes sense unless we understand what God is doing. And his focal point 
is Jerusalem. So here they are, uh, in terrible trouble. And their response is, let's just keep partying. Now Isaiah says, And it was revealed in my ears by the Lord of hosts, by Yehovah Zavod. Surely this iniquity, this, this turning of their back, this hardness of heart, think of Isaiah 6, when Isaiah got his calling, and, and he says, Isaiah, go to these people, but they won't listen to a word that you have to say. And Isaiah said, well, how long? And he said, until. Not forever, until. Until when? Until the abomination that makes desolate. And so Isaiah is saying, look, it was revealed to me in my ears by the Lord of hosts that surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till you die. So this is Isaiah 6. This has to happen. This calamity is coming upon you. And, and it will purge you, but many of you are going to be slaughtered in the process. So this iniquity shall not be purged from you till you die, says the Lord God of hosts. In chapter 5, so he says this was told in my ears, in chapter 5 and verse 9, we see the same expression. Isaiah said, In my ears, said the Lord of hosts, of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair, without inhabitant. This is exactly what he was revealed, what was revealed in the next chapter, chapter 6, that this has to happen. And we know now, <clears throat> excuse me, we know now that Jerusalem has to suffer. I wish it wasn't so. But Jerusalem has to suffer. In fact, all of Jacob has to suffer. Wish it wasn't so. And has to suffer intensely. And has to suffer in a way that no tribe of people have ever suffered before. That's what's happening. That's what the world is being set up for right now. And unfortunately, some of our brethren are actually participating in this setup. Hopefully by now, hopefully by now, they're beginning to see, wait a minute, maybe I was supporting something that is evil. Maybe I was backing the wrong horse. Maybe these movements that I'm getting behind are actually antichristic, and I'm doing the work of the devil. We hope that that realization is coming now, because maybe, you know, two years ago, five years ago, 18 months ago, maybe it wasn't clear. But I think by now it's clear. Unless we're like that proverbial frog, who, as the, as the water is heating up around us, we don't realize it, and we're going to be boiled to death. I hope that's not the case. But we do know many of God's people are going to suffer. If we have relationships with people, we've got to share with them. Open your Bible. Are you studying Scripture? How are you aligning your support of this evil with Scripture? Because if we're calling evil good, we're going to be cursed. So Isaiah says, this has been told to me. Jerusalem will be destroyed. Back to chapter 22. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, go, get you unto this treasurer. So now, all of a sudden, the tone of the prophecy shifts from macro to micro. Now we're talking about a specific individual, a specific human being. And so now he says to Isaiah, Go, get you unto the treasurer, even unto Shevna, which is over the house. So this is a high-ranking individual, right beside the king, who's over the house. 
And Isaiah is being told to go to this individual, this specific leader, and say, What have you here? And whom have you here? That you have hewed thee out a sepulchre, or sepulchre, here, as he that hews out or cuts him out a sepulchre, sepulchre on high, and that graves a habitation for himself in a rock. So, you know, graving something in a rock is a sense of permanency. So everybody's realizing, okay, let's eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. Even this great leader realizes it's over. But it's very important for him that his legacy be remembered. So he wants to carve out some sort of memorial for himself so that he'll be remembered for generations. Not caring about the people. The people are suffering. The people are dying. He's just caring about himself. Sound familiar? Do we see our people today suffering in, in incredible ways? The, 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 the consequences, the psychological consequences of this ongoing lockdown, how families are suffering and being broken apart, all of these, uh, these vaccinations and how forcing them on children, children having heart attacks and dying, children having strokes and dying, children being paralyzed. And we must we hide, hide all of that. Don't let that get out and just continue, pro, continue to promote and sell this vaccine. And, and offer people free burger and fries if they'll get vaccinated. What, what on earth is this? Who are these people? And do they really care about their people? And when destruction finally comes upon them, Will, will they care for the people or just for themselves and try to rewrite history in a way that they look glorious? So this, this man, Shevna, is bad news. And God is saying, telling Isaiah to say to him, what are you doing? What is this? Isaiah says to him, behold, Yehovah will carry you away with a mighty captivity and will surely cover you. So, so, you're going to be exposed, actually. You're going to be dragged away. Like, do you think you can get away? How, how long did you think you could get away with this? And again, so some of our leaders today, they think they're so powerful. But God is powerful, much more powerful. And he's allowing things until he decides to act. And it's not going to be pretty when he does act. So this leader is told, you're going to be enslaved. You're, you're trying to make a name for yourself? You're going to be enslaved. Whoever this is that's going to come and enslave you, he will surely, violently turn and toss you like a ball into a large country. You're just going to be like a soccer ball, like a basketball, like a tennis ball. And you're, <laughs> you're trying to make a name for yourself? You're going to be treated like, not, like garbage, like just nothing. That's where you'll die. So you're trying to carve something out for yourself in Jerusalem to be remembered? No. Cease and desist. You're going to be taken captive, you're going to die in a different country, and you're going to be nothing. No, no one will have any, associate any value with your life or your death. That's where you shall die. And there the chariots of your glory shall be the shame of your Lord's house. So his Lord being the king, and uh, his, his service then is going to bring shame upon the kingdom and the king. And I will drive you from your station. This is God speaking. Isaiah is delivering this message that God will personally see to it, that you are driven from this office. 
and from your state shall he pull you down. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. So there's someone else that God has in the wings. And he's going to take you down and replace you with this individual, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And it's interesting that Eliakim's father is, is, is clearly stated. Shebna's father is not stated. Why that is, we're not sure. But clearly Hilkiah can, can feel very honored by the righteousness of his son, Eliakim. So, so God has somebody in the wings being developed to replace you. And I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your girdle. And I will commit your government, so the authority that you have, I'll put it into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. So as much as all this calamity is pronounced upon Judah and Jerusalem, they are not God-forsaken. And in this case, although they had a leader that was very self-absorbed and all of his decisions were about himself, and in fact, that's a really good question. For those of you who may, I don't know if anybody out there does, but for those of you who may uh, support the current most powerful administration in the world, uh, it's been in office now for, what, four or five months? For those of you who may support that, and certainly here in, in Canada, the current government, uh, and around the world, these Marxist governments, rhetoric notwithstanding, beautiful rhetoric notwithstanding, the question is, what decisions are they making that genuinely help the people? What decisions are they making that genuinely help the people? That genuinely support the family, the nuclear family? That genuinely support the freedom of human beings? Their, their subjects, maybe not all human beings, but their subjects. Of all these executive orders, and all these policies and decisions, Tell me one, one, that truly benefits the average individual or family and, and shows real care and concern for their subjects. Or are all these decisions just benefiting the Communist Party of China, benefiting uh, enemies of America and, and the West? So, so Shevna was just all about himself, selling out to anybody for his own aggrandizement. And God said, okay, I'm going to take you down and I'm going to replace you with somebody who will actually be a father to Jerusalem and Judah. Someone who will actually care and make decisions in their best interest. So, so this would be, you know, it, pardon me just for the equivalence. It would be like uh, President Obama, who clearly had an agenda to destroy America. That should be no secret now. From his administration, this was a significant turning point or downturn in, in, in the prosperity of America. That all of a sudden, race became a significant issue. It wasn't an issue. It was almost disappearing. And we were just getting on with it. And then suddenly, it became forefront. It's all we think about now. You can't look at any human being in America and not look at their race, not see their race. Now we view everything through race rather than content of character. So this person had an agenda not to benefit Americans, but to benefit self. 
crying out climate change, climate change, the world is going to end, and then buys a multi, multi-million dollar estate on the water, on the, 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 the riverbank. Well, if there's climate change, sh shouldn't you be as far away from the flooding waters as you can possibly get? Why would you buy a multi-million dollar mansion on the shores? Unless it was just part of the agenda, the Marxist agenda, to put people in panic and fear and have them make decisions to their own destruction. And then it would be like God saying, okay, I'm going to take you down, except the analogy breaks down. It'd be like, I'm going to have you taken captive. And you're going to die in a, in a foreign land, and nobody's going to even think about you. And I will bring instead someone else, and I'm going to say Donald Trump as an example, flawed, terribly flawed human being. Terribly flawed. No argument there. Horribly flawed human being. But somebody who actually cares about America. A patriot. And somebody who I can tell you at least 45 different accomplishments, maybe more, and every single one of them to the benefit of the American people. To the point where it can't speak for the whole world, but at least for Americans. For Americans, everybody was doing better. Everybody was doing better. And if you care about black people, black men were doing better. And therefore, they could get married and look after their children and look after their families. And, and you know, a high tide floats all boats. Everybody, women, all minorities, everybody was doing better. And so it would be like that where God is going to take out one leader that clearly doesn't care about the people and put in another leader that does. And again, don't jump on, oh, Adrian's, I don't care about politics. But I have eyes, and I can see what's going on. And so here is an equivalent of replacing the leader with somebody who actually cares about the people. Here in this case, it's a righteous man. It's a, right, it's a godly man that God is going to put in place. But just for analogy. And God says, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. And he, so he shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. So this language, obviously, very, very familiar to us from Revelation 3, where it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David. He that opens, and no man shuts, and shuts, and no man opens. So God clearly is the holder of this key of David, and God is saying, I'm going to give it to Eliakim. So Eliakim, this godly man who's going to replace this ungodly leader, is going to have this uh, authority from God to, to do things that cannot be reversed because they are backed up by God. And so this government is going to come directly from God and, and lay upon this righteous man, Eliakim. And he says, And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. So he's going to be solid, and you're not going to be able to, to remove him. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. So, so his father is going to have be honored because of his righteousness. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house. So, so his father's house, the, the uh, Hilkiah's house, is going to be really, really um, honored because of the work of Eliakim. And, and the righteous leadership, and the godly leadership and support, the God's support of this man. So they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house. And these were probably really big households, but they'll all benefit from the work he does. And the, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity, from the vessels of cups, even to all the vessels of flag on. So again, just to try to get us in the mind space, 
it would be like the Trump name if he was successful. Americans realize, oh, this is the greatest president. He's done well in the whole Trump household uh, benefiting. Again, I'm just speaking metaphorically just so we can get our, this is a real human being that has done something to benefit his people. But then he says, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed. So this is a human being, a godly human being, but a human being. And God is going to put him in place for a time. And while he's in place, he will be immovable. They'll throw everything at him, try and destroy him, try and bring him down, but they can't because God has fastened him there. And while he's there, he's going to really care for the inhabitants of Judah, unlike the previous administration, the, the uh, Shevna uh, administration. Now he's there, Eliakim, and God has put him there, and he has godly authority to make the right decisions for the people, and the people are all benefiting, but he's a man. And cursed is the man that trusts in man. So again, Judah has to learn this lesson, that they cannot look to human beings. They have to look to God. So for whatever reason, God puts this human being in place, according to the covenant and, and what he wants to accomplish with Jerusalem. But don't look to the man. Look to the operation of God. So if they're looking to the man, they're going to be sorely disappointed. The same way when they were looking to the Assyrian and hoping that Assyria would help them against Ephraim and Assyria. No, don't look to human beings. So here they're looking to Eliakim. They think, oh, Eliakim, he's our man. He's a... And then in that day, the Lord of hosts says this, that nail Eliakim that is fastened in the sure place, I'll remove it. Now what are you going to do? And it will be cut down. Again, we could just, by, by analogy, people thought, oh, Trump, four more years, four more years. He's our man. He's our man. No, he's out. Now what are you going to do? Shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall? This is God's doing. And the burden that was upon it shall be cut off. So everything, all that glory, everything that was there, going to be cut off. For the Lord has spoken it. So this is the judgment on Jerusalem. And again, we're just using modern day situation just so we can kind of get our head around the real life happenings of this day. And again, through the theme, have a sense of what's going to happen in the future and how Jerusalem has to learn this lesson. Stop depending on men and have a true relationship with your God because he has chosen Jerusalem. And, and Jerusalem will be, and, and as we read on here in Isaiah, we're going to see that, that God will not make a full end of Jerusalem. That despite all of this judgment, that God will in the end ensure that Jerusalem is the center of the whole world. The whole world through all of these mistakes that Judah is making, through all these mistakes that Jerusalem is making, and this uh, rejection of God, God is always going to look after her. And in the end, he will get that, that fruit that he's looking for. And he will establish Jerusalem over the whole earth. So that's Isaiah chapter 22. Uh, it's really strange in a way that as, as we're reading through these curses of all these Gentile nations that are enemies of Judah and Jerusalem, that in the mix is the curse on Jerusalem as well. So all these nations are cursed. But the difference is God has chosen Jerusalem. So, brethren, I hope that was helpful. I'll just check the chat and see if we have 
any uh, comments or questions. If not, we might have uh, an earlier night tonight. So I'm not seeing anything here. I'll just hang on for a little bit just to see if there is, just here, just maybe a minute or so. Wonderful to see all of you brethren here. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Uh, we're just going to keep going line by line uh, through Isaiah, then we'll go back and finish off Psalms. A few other books, I think, while we're doing the, the fifth book of Psalms, I don't think I'll go through the whole thing in one go. We'll probably do every 10 or 12 chapters or so, take a quick break, maybe cover another small uh, prophetic book, and then come back and continue with Psalms. So we want to get through all of Isaiah to chapter 39. We want to get through all of the Psalms, so the final book that we have. Um, but I think while we're doing that final book, because it is fairly long, uh, we'll just take a few uh, forays into other smaller books so that we can uh, ideally, hopefully, in God's sparing life, uh, we will cover all the books of the Bible uh, eventually, line on line. So, brethren, thank you so much. Uh, I'm just seeing some thanks, and thank you, brethren. You know, this is a very, very, very difficult time. We have to brace ourselves. And what I'll say is, um, let's not be like Judah. Let's not be like Jerusalem. God is doing everything to drive them to have a relationship with him. We, we, we want to learn from them because God is saying the church in the end time is cursed. The church in the end time behaves like ancient Israel. So we don't want to be like this. We want to cultivate a, a true relationship with Jesus Christ and with God the Father. And we can only have that true relationship if we are in compliance with his word. It, you know, for, for, for people, if there's anybody among us who just sort of, oh, it's me and the Lord and I love the Lord, but we're not studying the word, then I don't know what Lord we're loving because we don't know him. And that's why he's going to say to many, you know, depart from me, you that work iniquity, because I don't know you. Because you're not in compliance with Torah, which is the mind of God. The, the scriptures show us the mind of God. So we need to be studying the Torah, the prophets, the writings, uh, the, 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 the teachings of Christ and, and, and the apostles, so that we can understand our God. And then when we're worshiping him, when we're loving him, when we're adoring him, we actually understand who it is we're speaking about. So this is just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that we have. So the world is unraveling. And we're seeing evil. We're going to see evil, the likes of which we would never even, it would never come into our mind to imagine the kind of evil that we're being visited with now. That these people who have turned their back on Christ, this kleptocracy, this global kleptocracy that is ruling over us, we're going to see incredible evil. And it's going to be very harmful. And it could be very discouraging unless we understand this is exactly what. God has prophesied. So we can be like Isaiah, and yes, we're going to mourn over this evil, but we can at the same time have a joy because we understand this is all. If, if this evil was happening and we had no clue that it was going to happen, then it would just be so bizarre, we'd have to just check out. Like this, I wasn't ready for this. But the fact that Christ says, Look, I'm telling you beforehand, this is what's going to happen. And then we can go back into the ancient prophets. And see like, wow, this is all spelled out. So now we can have strong confidence and strong consolation that this is all happening according to God's word. So, so take heart, brethren. And, and everything that we're facing, whatever we're facing, let's put it in the context of 
eternal life. Amen. As we study these scriptures, let's just grow this spiritual backbone so that we're able to face anything. And I did see a couple of comments come in here. Beautiful. Okay. Very, very good. So, brethren, Jesus Christ is Lord. God bless all of you. And hopefully you'll join us on Sabbath. God bless.